welcome to the third and final segment of our interview with Melissa Jones, founder and director of the Sexology Institute. She's been talking about her own personal journey with her sexuality and the development of the Sexology Institute and what has led her to where she is today. So now on with part three. We're back. We've been talking with Melissa Jones about her history uh, in her sexuality training uh, and becoming a sexologist. We previously heard her talk about her upbringing in the Mormon church and about the early parts of her marriage and how she decided to go into the field of sexology and about the early aspects of her practice. And now we're going to hear a little more about the Sexology Institute. So Melissa, tell us about the Sexology Institute. So the Sexology Institute, where to start? So as I mentioned, the Sexology Institute was kind of born out of this idea that we wanted a safe environment for women particular, in particular, um, because that was who I worked with probably the most, um, to have a safe place to come and talk about sex um, learn about sex and to you know get intimacy devices and different things that they might need to help improve their sexuality and their sex lives. So my idea being a focus of course on me seeing clients, teaching educational workshops and then the store aspect of it. And through trial and error, you know we're at where we are now and I just I think we're in such a good place. We have such a good staff right now and so diverse and we've definitely you know trying to grow all of the different groups that we take care of and educate and help and I I just love where we're at. How would you define what is the Sexology Institute? The Sexology Institute? Well, I mean I think it's what I mentioned it's just a place it's a, a safe haven for people to come and learn about sex ask questions about sex um, find out what they need and what they can do to help improve their lives. And then, you know, of course, the store aspect of it. But for me, the most important part of what we do is the education and the workshops and keeping that communication about sex going. And I figure, you know, there's probably 10 people who walk by our store for every one that walk in because they see the word sex in our name and won't, won't come in the door. But I think if they start thinking about sex and sexuality and they start having a dialogue or maybe with a group of friends they start talking about it, then I'm accomplishing something because we're getting, you know, the word sex kind of out of the, we're making it more mainstream in a good way so it's not so scary of a word. So what services do you offer? Uh, so of course we see clients. I see clients as a coach. I am not a not a therapist or a psychologist or anything, marriage family therapist, I do coaching. And then we do have two therapists also here at the Institute to help with that part of anything that couples may need or individuals may need. And then of course we have our educational workshops that we do a couple a week um, at minimum. And then the store aspect of it. And then we also host private events. And what kind of workshops do you offer? So all different. I mean, we just had one on sex and religion. Um, we have stripping for your lover. We have classes on oral sex for men and for women. Um, BDSM kink, just a little bit of everything. We have meetups for LGBTQ. We have meetups for consensual non-monogamy. 
Uh, we're just starting a meetup for BDSM kink. So we're just trying to reach as many people as we can to have it be a safe space for them. How has the uh, Institute been received in the community? In our area, we've been pretty well received. Um, very, I think there's very few people that I've heard haven't liked us. Our old landlord didn't like us much, but <laughs> now we're in a good space. But I think overall, people are happy to have us where we are in Southtown, and our neighbors are happy to have us here. Have you had any problems in the community? No, not really. Uh, I mean, in our old location, like I mentioned, our landlord, but people here have been pretty good. Well, with the exception of during Fiesta, King William Fair, when we had the Bible bashers out in front of our store trying to cause conflict with Chris, but... How did that work out? We were just very polite and kind and let them talk, and they eventually walked away because they knew they weren't getting any conflict from us. Okay. Um... So we talked about the Sexology Institute. Um, do you want? I know you wrote a book. Do you want to talk about that at all? We'll do that in another podcast. Okay. Um, so, being a sexologist, working are, as far as boundaries, um, have there been any issues with boundaries of the clients in your personal? How have the boundaries been working out? Well, so. As a sexologist, I do not have sex with my clients. I do not touch my clients. We all keep our clothes on. Uh, there are parts of, of the sexology world, or people in the sexology world, you know, surrogates, um, cuddleists, things, people like that that do touch, but I, I don't do that here, and we don't do that here. Why, so, why is that? Uh, well, first and foremost, I think... My goal as a sexologist and for the Institute is to educate people so they can have the tools they need to go improve their relationship. And that's not to say that surrogacy and cuddling, you know, that there are a need for that. There are people who can definitely benefit from that. But I also feel like if we can get people to communicate within their relationship and they can then learn to cuddle with each other and learn to touch and learn to have sex with each other, that's the ultimate goal. So, you know, if, if there's clients that I realize need cuddling or surrogacy, then there's resources for that. But I, I'd rather arm people with the most important tool, which is communication skills, so that they can then talk to their partner or potential partners to improve their own sex lives and their intimacy. Looking at other sexologists or people you know, online, there, there are some people that are very public and will express everything that's on their mind and are very willing to you know, risk outing themselves. Um, there are other people that are extremely private. Most, pe most people who are not public personas are very private in their sex lives. Do you, are, do you find yourself in the middle? Do you find that you're more private than others? That you're, how do you balance the public private aspects of you, of yourself? Oh, I definitely started out being very, very private. I think that I'm becoming more public and, and sharing more. And I realize it's because a lot of times one nice aspect about being a coach versus a therapist is that, you know, I can share some personal experiences with clients of things that have worked and things that haven't worked in my own sexuality and my own sex life. And so I realize that sometimes my life lessons really benefit people. Or maybe if I'm teaching a workshop, sharing, you know, like the sex and religion one we just did, being able to share personal experiences and get 
a good conversation and dialogue going. So I feel like I'm opening up more. I still am, um, you know, I still don't feel like I will ever be a person who puts everything about myself out there just because I don't think it's needed. But also for me personally, one of my turn-ons is to have my own kind of fun, intimate life that other people don't know about, except for you, of course. But that that is a turn-on for me. So I like to keep that private for that reason. Not because I'm afraid of what people are going to think or say or anything else, but... Do you still think there's some degree of concern or of being shamed or embarrassed? You, you mentioned about whether your, your mother-in-law hears this or your oh, children. Sure. There's or absolutely. And, and, you know, part of it is, is there's the shame and the embarrassment, but the other part is I just don't think my kids need to know or my mother-in-law needs to know or my parents need to know. They just don't need to know things. I don't. There's things I don't want to know about their sex lives that I, I just don't need to know. And so part of it is the guilt and shame or worry that I'm going to let them down but but a big majority of it is I just don't think they need to know that do you ever feel like if, if there were some way to you know stick your fingers in their ears that there's things you'd like to say that you don't um some things not a, I mean yeah I know where you're going with this and what you want me to you know talk about and out myself but I just don't feel the need to do it and it's not guilt, shame, anything. It's just, I just don't. So what are your, the biggest challenges you foresee going forward in your personal and professional life? Um, I don't, challenges? I don't know. I mean, what am I excited about? I'm just excited about the growth. I'm excited about my personal growth and just where I am since not going to church anymore and letting go of that unnecessary guilt and shame and then using that to help other people who are in my same situation. But at the same time, I have the empathy and understanding of people who are still very much in Christianity and are dealing with the guilt and shame while being active and going to church. So I have, I think I'm I'm lucky that I have both aspects of that. So where do you see yourself in two years professionally? Anything change? Anything change? Or you think you're going to still, will it still be just like this in two years? Or you hope it will be like this? It depends. Day to day. Some days I think I want to have 10 locations open. And other days I'm just super content with what we have. And I feel like we have a good team and we have a good model. And we're doing, we're making a difference in San Antonio and in everywhere. What about personally down the road? relationship with the church and your own sexuality well I don't I don't see going back to church anytime soon because my number one reason for leaving was you know their whole um, policy on LGBTQ families and children and and I don't see their stance changing anytime soon so I don't think I can support a church like that anytime soon um, our son is gay but be, I mean and so of course I love him and want to support him but having this job and doing what I do there's so many people around me in the LGBT community that have so much love to give and they're such amazing people that I just can't imagine God would want them excluded in any way or beyond that because you know the church says that they can be active but they can be active if they're not having sex and that's so so sad here's this fundamental gift that you know that, that God has given people but because of the way he had them born, 
he's punishing him by not letting him have sex. I mean, that's just so backwards to me. Absolutely backwards. Because sex is such an amazing tool to bond you to your partner. It's fun, but it's also something that bonds you to your partner. And so these people just are supposed to be lonely and celibate. I can't imagine a God wanting that. I can't. So I don't see myself going back to church anytime in the near future. So with that, now it's just kind of shedding, you know, uh, the guilt and shame that I have have had showing my shoulders and wearing short skirts and being more expressive in my sexual desires and not being embarrassed of it, you know, doing naked girl reading and embracing my body and what I look like and who I am, that kind of thing. So I just hope that continues. A couple of just odd, oddball questions at the end here, and feel free to comment on anything else you'd like. On a scale of one to ten, how weird are you? How weird am I? Oh, well, it depends on who's asking or on my weirdness. I mean, I think LDS people would think I'm a ten on weird, but I think sexologists would think I'm just like a two. Do you think you're a, a two amongst other sexologists? Um. I think what they see as a two, I think that, and actually I'm probably a 10 in sexology world too because I'm Christian sexologist, you know, that's not super common, so okay. I'm probably weird to other people. I don't think I'm weird, I think I'm pretty cool. Alright, and what's your favorite place to travel? Oh, anywhere new, somewhere I haven't been. Um, I love traveling with my family, if my husband, with you, or if my kids can be with us. Just pretty anywhere, anywhere that I'm with my family. Anything else to add? No. Anything else you want to talk about? No, this has just now opened a huge list of questions I need to ask myself that will lead into probably about 20 more podcasts as we delve into this. This is like a therapy session. So as we've been doing this, have you thought about, uh, you know, obviously we're, these are things we could have talked about in private and you know, many things we have talked about in private in the past, but here you're recording things for the potential of having it put out there for others to hear. Um, is that concerning that people well, are going to hear these things? That's why I keep asking you, where's this going? Where's this going? Where's this going? And, and I mean, it is sad that I still have that compartmentalization going on that, you know, one group can hear one thing, another group can hear middle of the road a little bit, and then there's the you know conservative group over here that I don't I need to keep up my persona, which, as I'm saying this right now, I think well why screw them like I don't need to keep a persona, but then I go back to the idea of I there I there's just things that I don't want my kids or my family to have to know or worry about or think about. I mean, I, I, really that's who it comes down to is. Why do I? Why am I not just sharing a hundred percent of everything? It's my kids and my family. That's where it comes down to. Well, I'll even admit that there are things that I would be hesitant to to share, and but for me, it wouldn't be for kids and family, since I think they would be tolerant of of things, and there's things we can explain to them. But I think it would be for those people who are kind of on the fence on our periphery, that right now are in our camp that if they knew everything, they may not be. And that could have unforeseen uh, impact on us. Mm -hmm. That, you know, others could be, you know, we may make People new are going to think we're doing, like, really weird, like, illegal things. We're not, 
what we're talking about is like on a scale of one to ten for normal non-LDS people, it's like a three or four. But in the LDS world, these are like tens. And so I think pe that's one thing people need to realize. We're not talking about anything illegal, crazy. I'm not a madam. I'm not doing anything really funky. It's just our personal decisions in our personal sex life that if that fear of what, how will people react? No, it's always the fear of disclosure where when it's regarding sex, because sex is both your profession and it's your personal thing, where mm -hmm. if you were an auto mechanic, you, it would be, that'd be your profession and only your profession and you could freely talk about anything. Um, and so it's understandable that there's uh, a blurry line in the middle there somewhere that is, is always being explored. Definitely. Well, and if we keep evolving, that line's going to keep changing too. And hopefully we do. Hopefully our sex life just gets better and better and we keep growing as a couple. Any parting comments? No, I love you. Love you too. Thanks for doing this with me. You're welcome. All right, this has been fun. I've uh, been talking here with my wife, Melissa, <laughs> and uh, we'll see how this goes, and if we do any more, I guess you'll find out.